Football on off the ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. So Brian Gartland is one of the most successful figures in League of Ireland history. He is a five-time League of Ireland winner, three FAI Cups, three League Cups, a couple of appearances in the Europa League group stage with Dundalk all over the past decade and made his debut 16 years ago now in the League of Ireland. And his autobiography, One Last Shot, is out now. It's co-written with Mark McCadden. And I'm delighted that Brian is in studio with us. How are you keeping? I'm good, thanks. A lot of startling revelations of a decade and a half in the League of Ireland. The most startling of all that Stephen Kenny's favourite song at a sing song is something inside so strong <laughs> is, it, is that uh, something you could send a legal letter maybe about maybe it's the one he's best at singing is it yeah but, um, yeah um, not was expecting it to lead with so uh, <laughs> caught me on the hop there <laughs> uh, what else did Stephen what, what was it that brought Stephen Kenny out for a sing song was it a, a league title only or was this a regular occurrence yeah success yeah winning yeah. winning has him happy same with us all you know we're competitive so um, we were always, I suppose, so disciplined, and there was always this drive there and that. But when you accomplish something, there was um, there was great celebrations. You know, everything was celebrated, all the good times. So, uh, if you pull your seat in a little bit closer no there, uh, so you had time at Bray, Shells, Monaghan, Portadown before finding yourself at Dundalk, summer twenty thirteen. Uh, it covers everything about the uh, hashtag greatest league in the world in the League of Ireland in this from the madness of the early days of Bray and Shelburne and even into the madness of the last couple of years at Dundalk as well at times. Uh, when you think back to starting out in football, have you achieved everything you, you thought you would? Was was staying in Ireland and becoming one of the most successful players in the League of Ireland, was, would that have been something that would have satisfied you when you were 15, 16? No. You know, the goal was way higher. The goal was Premier League and Liverpool were my team. So, And that's in the book there that it was just, that was always the, the pinnacle and where I wanted to go. And even when I was at Bray, it was right, get into the first team at 19 and try to get into the Irish 21s and get a move and so on. And I suppose that has to be a drive as a young player. Mm. You know, you always want to aim for the top. Um, I wouldn't have been thinking then, right, it's, you know, win the League of Ireland here, stay here and have a great career here. It was always to go away. But... Um, been fortunate that I've had the life here, you know, in the league here, and it's it's paved a career for me. Uh, it wouldn't have been what I envisaged, and I never thought even that sort of career was there in the making, staying in the country here. Yeah. But, um, I get the sense throughout the book that there's a a bit of a frustration that you're almost typecast throughout your career as the big lad at the back, <laughs> and though maybe you know at times people didn't think you were quick enough or that you were comfortable enough on the ball, whereas you felt actually there was a whole lot more to your game than than people that might just see at the odd time. Yeah, but I suppose I have to be, I suppose, aware of what other people think as well. You know, how someone else see, perceives you and how you perceive yourself can be different. So it's it's good to, I suppose not be blind to that because other people might might be correct and I could be wrong at times yeah. but um, yeah it's nice having people to prove wrong I suppose that's what comes out in the book is that um, they might be right but I mightn't agree with it so in my head I've, I've made a battle with them um, and I want to prove them wrong uh, and there is that sort of mindset of you know I talk about how not playing I suppose competitive or serious football I was so much looser and so much more creative and freedom playing in 11 sides local leagues in Dublin 
and different things like that and I'd play centimetre up front and mm. the shackles would be off in my mind as such and sometimes when I went into competitive football I just wasn't able to you know to get rid of them as much and express myself until later on in my career and you know I was able to a bit more Yeah uh, When you think back to starting out at Bray it was a rocky enough start I think there was a disciplinary <laughs> issue right at the very start Yeah um, Yeah it was a disaster for me at that age especially when I told you my goals you know yeah. at that age so what happened there was a I was I think I was captain of the 21s and we were holders of the under 21 cup at the end of McGill cup and um, we were down in Eden Derry playing a game and I think there was one ball and it's been booted you know a field over mm. we'd have to wait for it back and all the tricks coming out and um, there was only a couple of minutes added, added on or played and there was meant to be longer added on and uh, first up to the ref, went away, had me a few words, probably over the top in terms of words, but that was it. Uh, went away, but after, I suppose it was put down with the FEI as assault for putting your hands on them. Um, and listen, I state like I never did, and I know number 14 at the time said he did, and I was wearing number four. So the linesman had said he'd seen number four, but... Uh, yeah, so that ended up with a four-month ban just when I was sort of right. getting into the first team in uh, in Bray and getting involved with the first team and on the bench and so yeah. on. So as a young lad, it was disastrous. But um, and, and not just for you, it comes across in the book as well, for the family, like this is a is a huge setback. Everybody in the family is aware of, you know, your dreams to become a professional footballer and, and to see your name dragged through something like that is, yeah, is pretty mean, difficult. My mother was, yeah, wasn't best <laughs> pleased at all. But you know, the, yeah. I suppose the language when they to put in the disciplinary thing as assault and she was like, this is serious and and so on. And um, yeah, so she was, she, I don't think she was even thinking about football. She was just thinking about, you know, that being uh, put to her, her precious son uh, that can do no wrong at the time. So um, yeah, it, listen, but it's just unfortunate. Um, the biggest thing for me at the time was how you, you had no say I went to an appeals process and it was just there was no point in me being there because they were going with the referees report and, and that was it Yeah, you talked there about the discipline of that Dundalk side and there wasn't a huge amount of times where you let your hair down when you look back in those sort of first 6-7 years of your career and you're going through different clubs how disciplined were you? how big a change was it when you got to Dundalk from what had gone on previously? for me I don't think it was it was a massive a massive change even when I always trained full time uh, funnier than not I tried to if I was doing a bit of coaching and everything I tried to construct everything around football even when I was on only expenses say a am on 130 or 50 quid a week you know mm. cover your your costs and stuff like that football was first so I'd get up in the morning I'd go to the gym get me gym session maybe do a couple hours coaching and then go training and so I was training full time the whole time. Um, I was a young lad and I'd, I'd go out the whole time, but I wouldn't drink. I'd always be driving, um, and everything was geared towards. And maybe I was a bit deluded because this was even in my early twenties when most people would be saying, you know, knock it on the head yeah. and get a proper job. And were you getting much of that? Um, and not much, but a little bit at home. Um, I know they'd be saying, right, you know, come on now, you've got to get a career and you're gonna have to get a mortgage and and so on. Um, so yeah, so I tried a couple of other jobs, office jobs and stuff like that. It just wasn't for you. Just wasn't for me. Yeah, just the bit of the dreamer in you. Yeah, and that dreamer went on. Maybe I just didn't mature <laughs> <laughs> as quick as they uh, as they wanted. You know, into my mid twenties, it was twenty six when I when I signed for Dundalk. Right. So like you've a good few years like 
behind you there in terms of chasing that dream so there's a bit of naivety in there as well uh, that's a constant through the book when it comes to contract negotiations and you talk about going up to Monaghan and playing for 120 130 quid that uh, the old the old school managers can spot the young lads like you who have that dream in their eyes where yeah. they know actually he just wants to play football at a good level he's thinking he's coming to Monaghan for six months he's going to get a move to the big leagues and they can <laughs> take advantage of that yeah that was it it's naivety and it was I suppose that willingness, like you say, like it was wasn't about money for me. It was about chasing that dream and um, just love football. Still do. And would there been a moment, say, you go to Monaghan for a couple of hundred quid, like three months in, where you're thinking, "What the hell have I just signed up to?" Because Monaghan obviously ends up in a bit of a basket case in in some ways. Yeah, but no, not never at Monaghan. Now, in fairness, never at Monaghan. I loved loved my time there. Mick Cook was a manager, and. Um, I suppose I was always developing and we were developing as a team and yeah. it was really enjoyable but it was I suppose when I wanted to move on from there you saw the same players going around the same big clubs here like same centre half would have played for three or four of the Dublin clubs and then they end up back at another one you know five years later and you're just thinking give me a crack at it you know I can do that job or I can do it better and you know I'll grow into a better player but it, it wasn't wasn't the case not like now where young lads get a great chance. It was yeah. young lads, you know, you weren't thrown in the... Particularly at centre-half. Yeah, one of the and it was, a, it was a physical league then yeah. as well. So, you you know, I suppose there was a, there was that side of it that you had to mature more and you had to physically develop more to be able to, to play centre-half in the league back then. But it's a different ball game now. Yeah, like, there is a discipline in that of, as you say, you're, you're training part-time at Monaghan United and it probably still can, it goes on with a lot of clubs in the first division now where you're called part-time but technically you need to be a full-time footballer that you're you're doing a bit of coaching on the side you're doing a bit of personal yeah. fitness training on the side you're, you're doing your own get a bit training. of money to yeah. supplement you know the, the football and that's what it was and because um, yeah you train two or three times a week and, and then play your match with Monaghan we were training in Clundalk and other Phoenix Park Um so you travel up to Monaghan for the games. Um, well, it's hard to go out then at the weekend and perform to the way you want when you know there's two or three other things going on during the week as well. Like, yeah, your entire focus on like a full time professional isn't on that match on a Friday night. Yeah, You're trying to survive it. as well. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. So if you can construct everything that it comes that football is your is your priority and number one it gets that devotion and gets that attention then you're giving yourself a better chance but um, so that's why it is very hard for lads you know to have to work full time and, and then go play as well mm. um, I went and I tried it and I found that it was affecting my football so that's why it knocked those jobs even if they were handy office jobs just knocked them on the head because it wasn't doing me any good in, in terms of what I was chasing yeah uh, the summer of 2013 then and the call from Stephen Kenny to sign for Dundalk like Dundalk in 2013 it's not the club we think about now how did that go it was um, out of the blue completely I've been on the phone to one club and then came off and had a voicemail from Mick Cook he was at Trot at the time and then came off that call and had a missed call from unknown number and listened to it it was Stephen Kenny so I was like I a call back obviously excited thinking Dundalk were going alright Um yeah, had a chat with Stephen and said, listen, I want to have a think about it. Um, obviously, I'd come from the League of North, he had to get international clearance, and I think this was a Tuesday or Wednesday, and he wanted me to be involved Friday, so you'd have to do it fairly sharp. And, um, 
I my naivety in terms of contracts like I said I'd, I'd put a rule in my head made it up myself and said don't sign or agree to anything uh, straight you away you an agent no well most lads would now but back then you you wouldn't have and in the League of Ireland sure it's only a few hundred yeah, yeah. quid you know um, I really you know I think it would benefit you even if you don't think you're going anywhere someone to do that on your behalf it just takes it out of your hand it, it is uh, something but yeah. uh, listen you live and learn so uh, Stephen Kenny makes the call doesn't give you too much time to think about it no he rings me I said I need a bit of time to think about it I think I'll get a couple of days and he r- rang me an hour or two later right. so um, yeah we ended up on the phone for a good bit talking probably not saying too much and just trying to convince me and it wasn't that I didn't want to go there or play for him yeah. it was that I'd been travelling and you know there was a voice now on the other shoulder saying right you need to put some other career and you know ahead of football now and this was travelling again an hour up the road every day, an hour and a half up the road every evening. Um, so it, it does come across as a bit of a sliding doors moment where you know you might sign for a club in Dublin as you say, get a get a proper job and play football part time and just you know sort of let your career trickle out. Whereas actually, you know, that call from Stephen Kenny changes yeah. your life completely. That was that was exactly it. It was Shelburne were in Dublin. They were bottom of the league and fighting relegation you know it was going to be a big task to stay up and I was ready to sign for them ahead of Dundalk just because like you say the sort of moment in my life where I was and mm. I just said oh it was July so there's three or four months left in the season and Dundalk went and won on the Friday up in Derry and uh, won one nil. and I remember thinking they have a chance here right you know there's a li- there's, they're building something there um, and if there's that slight chance and the biggest reason for coming back down to the league down south was I remember the year before sitting at the FA Cup final in the Aviva because it had been just started going in the Aviva yeah. the couple of years before and I sat there at the game and I remember thinking I'd give on to play in one of these to play right. this national stadium and play an occasion like this and that was a massive thing for me so yeah it was that little dreamer I suppose still on one shoulder and uh, Stephen Kenny good at selling the dream yeah, so if, if you know Stephen, he's in terms of his motivation, is you know convincing someone and and uh, you know selling what he's going to build and what he's going to do. Uh, you know that's a massive strength and it, of his. And that selling the dream from his part is that an end goal of I'm building a team here that's going to win a League of Ireland title that's going to transform the way people look at the League of Ireland, or is it more personal? Is it I'm going to make you a better person, a better player? Yeah, um, it wouldn't have been sort of transform League of Ireland and so on and that. But he's like, listen, we're going. To, you know, it would have been an ambition to go mm. and win the league. And from a team that was last in the league the year before, um, or stayed up via the playoffs, you know, it was a bit sort of like, all right, yeah, you know, you're thinking he's dreaming, but he gives you this belief in terms of because he's such confidence in what he's saying, and it's it's not just sound bites coming out. Um, Stephen's one of a kind in terms of you know he's himself doesn't mm. try to be anyone else um, and yeah just in the end so I was like I have to I have to go and if there's a chance and a chance of medals and a chance of being part of something like that um, I had to go so I said listen what's another uh, four months of uh, prolonging the yeah. I suppose the other career that my family were, were so on to me about uh, I'm sure one of the reasons people will want to read the book as well is about Stephen Kenny and to get that real insight that you have into what made him eventually the Republic of Ireland manager. 
can you talk a bit more about that bit that people don't quite understand that man management because we've spoken to lots of Dundalk players and say what is it that made him so good and it's kind of hard to explain have you figured out what it is that that means particularly all those Dundalk players just speak so highly of him and you know probably can't understand the questioning that's been there over the last couple of years since he got the Ireland job yeah it's like years ago we used to say as we watched the programme the X Factor and they're like they've got that X Factor they never explained you know mm. what it is but when someone just has something like I said there about Stephen he's He's his own man. He doesn't try to be somebody else. You know, um, I find a lot of people these days when they're coming into management or coaching and stuff like that, they're reading leadership books or they're picking up stuff and trying to put, I suppose, what they're learning directly on in someone else's sort of personality and instead of just finding their own way and what works for them. And um, I don't know if that makes sense, but Stephen is himself. And that that then everything that comes then is authentic it's him nothing comes across as sort of false so you, bel- you always believe them yeah he does like, and I talk about how in team talks like I'll be honest a couple of the team talks and I remember a couple of them starting off going and we you nearly have the giggles with one of the lads and you're trying to make them laugh on the other side of the dressing room you always have stuff like that where you have lads behind the manager and then they might, if they end up there they're trying to make the lads in front of the manager laugh and yeah. whatever Um but Stephen, a couple of team talks, you start off and I'm like, where's he going with this? Like, you know, the tangent. And then by the end of it, I turn around and I'm like, how do I end up like that? Like, how do I end up up for a game like this? When the team talk started, you know, off the note that it did. Um, he just had a knack, like I said before, I don't know if he ever studied psychology, but he seems to have a, a great grip of it that way. So in terms of being able to, to get people up for a game and... and I suppose get them out of whatever mood they're in whatever thing they come in whatever you have at home that's in your head to change that train of thought and have you solely focused on this and you know up for exactly what's in front of you um, is a really really big character trait to have you know in in football obviously Mm. Um, and then like I say is being so authentic and, and natural getting people to buy into what he's doing if he believes it firmly and he, you know, speaks with such confidence about it, then you sell something better as such. Um, I find that's that's a massive, massive trade for him. And then he gives you belief. Like we talk about, he loves attacking football and wingers. He loves yeah. his wingers. Like you're Daryl Horgan and you're Michael Duffy. And it would be, you know, I always remember him saying, like, you're electric. And how people are paying in to see you and they were because these players were lighting up the league and he just filled them with confidence before going out and they'd be just they'd literally be destroying full back after full back and the lads would be on top form loving their football and um, and you're, you're obviously not in the Ireland dressing room but when you look at Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager do you recognise the Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager is it the same man that was the Dundalk manager yeah um, I can see it coming out on the team you know it's a, obviously a lot harder to do in international you're playing against top top teams management teams tactically and top international players so and the other side of it is he only has players for a couple of weeks at a go and you don't have much time on a training mm. pitch in between because a lot of lads are coming off a game so you can't do much on the pitch for the next two days and then should have gone into our game so um, there's not a lot of time to go through so 
uh, stuff in terms of team development as opposed to if you have a league team but I can see in terms of development like we were told we don't have players and we don't have anyone that can play football and um, you can see that coming out on the team you can see the ability to play you can see the confidence in players now looking to get on the ball looking to play pass forward um, it's just that consistency is obviously what the next mm. stage they have to kick on to and that takes time um, but yeah in, I can see that coming out on the team and it would remind you know I could see why when I know Stephen How you progressed during your time in Dundalk like, when people looked at you during the last couple of successful years you know a real totemic figure at the heart of the defence a sort of traditional Irish centre half moment but a real leader as well would you have been that guy growing up would you have been like somebody very ambitious when you go into a dressing room even when you were going in at Bray playing under 21s when you went up to Portadown someone who would have driven standards or were you someone who needed to be led yeah, I think I think I would have been that type in terms of that was probably a strength of my character. Um whereas again, I'd know my weaknesses, you know, at the same time. Uh but that would have been a, a strength in terms of organization and talking and stuff like that would have always been it was built into me from a young age from a young coach, uh from a coach when I was young in terms of organizing the back and everything in front of us and talking the whole time. Um so yeah, that would be seen as as that, and again, there'd be plenty of players more talented and technical, technically was, and um, but it was, I suppose, I'd always have a, a work addict. Um, like I said, I'd always be constantly in the gym and trying to get fitter and everything like that. And I think actions speak louder, you know, in that regard, sort of thing. And yeah, um, so I'd like to think, yeah, from from a young age, I. Um, I would have been that and like I ended up as captain of Bray at that age sort of thing so that's why I think other people would have seen it in me as well but um, yeah It's a little bit uh, insane what you ended up achieving in Dundalk and the way Stephen Kenny managed to just bring this group together of you know players who were at different stages of their career a lot of them struggling at the time wondering probably like yourself which way their career was going to go to go and for Dundalk to win five league titles to have the European runs to play the quality of football that Dundalk played and you were such an instrumental figure in it what what are the real standout moments for you standout games that you know if we're talking in 30 years time you'll still think back on um, that is a few uh, good and bad reasons yeah. go but, good uh, first listen the the league in uh, 2014 last home game um We'd thrown it away in terms of we'd led the league for, for months beforehand and then two draws, I think it was, going into that game, put Cork ahead of us. So we had Cork at home in the last game in front of our own fans and we had to win. A draw wouldn't do. And it was, it was crazy because we were in great form that week, even though you'd think people had blown it and the mentality might be questioning yeah. yourself. But we were like, sure, we don't go to draw games anyway. It'd be no different if we if a draw would do us. We, we only know how to go and win a game. Uh, so we were fully confident going into it and then to have a game like that a cup final but to win your league in front of your own fans and for the first one that feeling is yeah. is crazy like it's um, it lives with you um, and a couple of months before we had the league cup final and we ended up at home to Shamrock Rovers to be won 3-2 and um, that was league cup wouldn't be obviously high on people's priority but that was our first trophy and it was it was big because it was the first taste of success and it was 
learning to win and learning to get over that line because we lost this, this Atlantic Cup final earlier on that year. Um, so the first ones, you know, in that couple of months were massive. Then when you go into European games, it's it's that's a different animal yeah. altogether because you're you're playing in stadiums that are phenomenal and you're um, you're playing against massive players in terms of some you wouldn't know but they're technical and the intensity of them is ridiculous you know you're learning every game um, and then the likes of like Rosenberg um, away for me that'd be big scoring yeah. Champions League qualifier I think he had Bentner up front with Jensen off the, he's a Danish captain and uh, playing off him you know you've calibre that type of players um, you were probably at a good age to experience all that as well because when you talk about you know learning from all of them yeah. you know, if you're 20, 21 you're not really learning probably you're probably just getting on with the game going and enjoying the moment and think this is going to last forever actually yeah. you know to play against that quality of player and probably you know on the flight home think about actually yeah you do and as you get older you, you think deeper into it and mm. um, which is good um, obviously though if, if you experience it earlier you're you know you're going to learn a bit more and maybe I suppose go to big, bigger heights on the game but like you said we we came from I couldn't imagine that's where I was going to go you know to those games mm. and those occasions when I was at Dun- signed up for Dundalk because like you said a lot of us were not misfits but like I've been playing first division for three years and then up north and no one would keep it knowing you know how you're doing or anything like so me signing there is probably like ah oh, he's just cover or what are they signing him for? Um, and I can imagine that was said by plenty because yeah. that's the nature of football. I hadn't, you know, pulled up any trees. Um, but there was a lot of players like that um, at Dundalk and a lot of lads, I suppose, that were good attitudes, good work rates and uh, I suppose points to prove and, you know, willingness to to improve and be part of a team. Not all me, me, me sort of thing. And that was a massive thing because even though we had players that were such superstars and uh, such ability it was always about the team Who kept them in line? Um, Stephen that's what it comes from and I suppose it was a thing I thought about earlier when you asked about him it's a massive thing is there has to be a bit of fear I think from repercussions if you step out of line right. you don't need big authoritarian sort of you know treating you like school kids but you need to have repercussions if someone's not doing their job or if they're you know they're not keeping up standards that there is repercussions or you know you'd be held accountable um, and I think that's that's a massive part for it is that um, Stephen's on top of all that stuff but not treating you like a little kid you know um, well he had to stay on top of you because uh, throughout the book any chance he had to go out in the lash <laughs> you were taking it listen yeah we got we had plenty of plenty of nights out and plenty of of um yeah, during the year, like, but it was always at the right time. There, there wasn't stuff like you'd have a week between games if you were out on a Saturday night. Like, yeah, um, and it wouldn't be out. It wouldn't be a whole weekend rollover and stuff like that. But if it did get on top and got too much, you know, it would be, uh, it would be pulled up on. The football pod on OTB Sports. You still listen to the football pod, or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely, as I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports. You were a proper goal-scoring defender. 
Uh, still are a proper goal scoring defender. It's not done yet. You're obviously still playing. Yeah, it's been a while since I scored. But. Uh, what was it? Two league winning goals. Obviously, you mentioned the goal uh, against Rosenberg. So many big goals throughout your career. And you talk about sort of uh, thinking about the night before, trying to have that vision of you scoring the winning goal. I was thinking of someone like Shane Duffy, who often you talk to after Ireland match, and he'd be devastated that he hadn't scored. Like at yeah. the centre half, where like because he knows he's such a big presence, got that sense with you as well that you felt actually that you know you should be scoring seven, eight, nine goals a season. Yeah, and that was it. And Stephen then would sort of put that on you as well. You know, when you did start scoring, you know the target would always just keep going, and it'd give you belief to get it as well. Like we do finishing, I was always doing the finishing after training with the with the rest of the players, usually attacking players. I loved doing it, but. Stephen be celebrating goals, you know, the the balls on the training ground was brilliant that way. Yeah. In terms of like if it came off on the training ground and a good move and a finish and that sort of thing. Stephen be he'd be buzzing, he'd be celebrating a goal like he scored right. that sort of thing, you know. Um and listen, there's no better feeling than scoring a goal. Even like I'm a centre half and I probably shouldn't be saying that. Pride, yourself, pride yourself in clean sheets. Ah, you do and you love it, but scoring a goal is just you know, like it goes back to the little lad's dream. You know, when you're a kid and you score a goal and you're thinking it's on match of the day or it's you know playing for Liverpool but um, yeah it uh, I had a fortune to have a good few years of, of a good few goals but credit must go and I always have to say it to delivery because like, we had set piece takers that were I knew if we set screens and we had little movements and stuff the they ball the ball would be there and the timing of the ball and the timing of so it's not just you know I'd love to say it was just yeah it was great scoring goals but there might have been two other lads with me doing movements and doing setting screens or little rolls and then there'd be another lad somewhere else and he'd be doing a run to take somebody else out of the area and then the kicker would be going off a specific time of that person doing the other run and they have to hit a specific area and it all has to be timed and coordinated and so there was a lot involved in it a lot of repetition yeah, a lot of reputation and a lot of concentration. The relationship with Stephen Kenny, it did end up being somewhat fractured towards the end of his time at Dundalk. And what probably should have been maybe the best season of your career, there were a couple of really difficult moments. Uh, there's a Cruyff turn against Zenit St. Petersburg that probably wasn't uh, the most advisable at the time. That uh, Not in uh, the snow, no. Uh, not, not in the snow that I'm not sure Stephen Kenny ever fully forgive you <laughs> for. Uh, and I was watching it back, and uh, in fairness, he probably has a point. Uh, what, what were you thinking with that? Again, is that the... Uh, no, you're not thinking about clean sheets, you're thinking about actually the superstardom. Or was it just a bad moment at a bad time against yeah, the top-quality top opposition? Yeah, that's it. You get punished at those levels, like I say, the intensity. Um, You're doing Cruyff turns all the time in the League of Ireland. And yeah, so I think we had a free in our own half. So, like, we're not ones to just sort of route one and mm. send it long. They maybe should have. It's not long before half time, but I was thinking banging into Shields, he banging out the other centre half. We keep it and, you know, um, play as we do. Um, but in hindsight, when you look back, and it's easy when you look back in the video and you see where everyone's positioned, the fullbacks were gone up higher and so on, so the option wouldn't have been on and that. And then I was sort of caught on the hop when the ball was fizzed back to me. Um, I sort of look, you know, usually I'd look maybe for the fullback, but if he's not, if he's up higher, it's not on. So you should probably just boot the ball. But again, that wasn't, I suppose, where the head was, and just thought I'd check back, and uh, wasn't the wasn't the best wasn't the best decision. So. Um, and like I said when you're playing in stadiums and things like that like there's a moment when that happens and I know it was like it's nearly like a in a movie and you sort of slip 
and it's like a wave because the noise all the Zenith fans literally I don't know if there's 70,000 or what and it's a real old school stadium with these massive floodlights like Friday night lights type thing coming down and I just remember this sort of wave of noise coming and those boys Giuliano pounced on the ball I think it was and they just intensity coming forward and you're just thinking shit Sorry, I should, probably shouldn't be doing that, but but that was the sort of moment, you know, in the in thing, and that's listen, a lot of great moments in playing football, and you know, that's how we played. Um, so you've got to take the the yeah. bad with the good. A lot of good moments, but it's obviously one of the biggest games you will have ever played. It's a Europa League group stage game at Senate St Petersburg, a giant of the game. Stephen Kenny's reaction was like he went all in on on blaming you for that moment, which I was quite surprised by because it seems somewhat out of character of everything that had gone before. And I'm sure you'd made other mistakes throughout your yeah, time. Yeah, listen, centre half, you're always going to be. Uh, why it was it was quite shocking, and and you seem to take it particularly personally. Yeah, it's probably because I was hurting myself so bad. You know what I mean? I hold myself and expectations and standards up, and like I say, it was such a big game, so I'm hammering myself as it is. Um, uh, and you just you don't want you don't want any more on top of it sort of thing um, but that's the job like like I said you make mistakes all centre half mm. have and lead to goals and stuff like that and I probably did get I suppose stuff highlighted before when I made mistakes for the goals but I took no notice of it because it wouldn't have been you know that important as as that night sort of thing so um, at the time yeah just like I said we were in a different different stratosphere in terms of attention in terms of going from playing League of Ireland to playing at that and we were competing in the group so um, and I'm my worst my own worst critic so I sort of made things worse on top of myself and right. I took things the way I took it wouldn't have wouldn't have helped sort of thing so a few weeks later then there's the cup final and Shawnee Maguire scores yeah the winning goal uh, takes a deflection off you. Like, does does it change how you look back on that period? The fact that I think in the midst of all that, you are having difficulties then with Stephen Kenny. Where I think you admit you're maybe reading more into it than he is. The fact that he had singled you out after that mistake against St Petersburg. Does it does it change how you reflect on that period? Yeah, um, I suppose like saying earlier, you know, talk about my strengths. I know my weaknesses as well. You have to be honest with yourself as a player, and especially when you're older, it's easier to do that. So when you come away from the cup final and Shawnee peeled off, the throwing was on the other side and he peeled off, someone, he goes to take a shot and I just went to block it. Uh, it tr- takes a nick off my heel and just, I suppose, spins slow motion in the other way and Gary was wrong-footed, obviously because he dro- dived the direction of the shot. And I know there and then with that, that that's just unlucky. There's nothing I can, not much I can do there, you know? It's just unlucky and you have to... So I couldn't hammer myself for that because otherwise, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be way down there and you'd, you've still got a few games to play yeah. in the season and in the groups. Um, so, yeah, that's, I suppose on that side, I wasn't too hard on myself, but I was there going, oh, what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> because we played well, I'd had a good game. Yeah. And I was thinking, and it was a big thing in my head because it's three days later after the Zena game, thinking, right, have a good game. You know, your next game, then right to Everton. It forgets about everything else and you're thinking I'm thinking love you I've had a great game here and uh, we were I suppose I thought the better team in terms of looking more likely to win it and then that happens and listen you know in football and, and 
the perception outside people take everything else away and just see oh it goes in off me um so you're going to get the the flack and stuff for that but there's not much you can do and you sort of have to convince yourself and and stick with that and just blur out everything else but is uh, is Shawnee Maguire the best striker you've played against in the League of Ireland yeah he'd be up there uh, Shawnee never gave you a minute he was excellent and like I suppose Cork win the league that year like his form for that first half of the season was phenomenal I think he had 22 goals or something maybe I'm not sure but he was uh, he never gave you a second his work rate was amazing uh, you knew he was always there if there was any mistake he'd pounce on it he kept you on your toes he didn't have time on the ball everything like that um, so yeah he'd be he'd be up there as one of the best played against the league uh, we're sitting here with Dundalk five points behind Shamrock Rovers with a game in hand so it looks as though we have a, a bit of a title race and I think there's a feeling that maybe Dundalk are slightly ahead of where everyone expected them to be under Stevie O'Donnell in the couple of years since the league was won under Vidi Perth the view on the outside is the club turned into an absolute basket case uh, Filippo Giovanioli comes in some of your best players are leaving to sign for your biggest rivals in Shamrock Rovers uh, nobody quite sure who the manager is who the head coach is uh, what Jim Jilton's role is uh, how much influence the American owner wants uh, you know does Bill Hulsizer want Gary Rogers taking uh, corner kicks and uh, crazy stuff like this been in the midst of all that as the senior player and as somebody who knows what it takes to get to the very top of the League of Ireland what was that period like for you personally? Frustrating is the, you know, the main thing that comes to, um, yeah, like when you go through it there, it's it's all in the space of a couple of years. You know, everything you've just mentioned there, it was so frustrating because my thing in my head is if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. Um, and everyone had there was these wild ideas and like you said, is there a moment where you went from thinking? Well, wow, this this investment is going to bring us to a whole other level again, where we'll be, you know, without question, the dominant force in the League of Ireland. But Europa League football is going to come year after year. Maybe we can start thinking about qualifying for a Champions League group stage. Where you go from that sort of mindset to, like this, this has become a basket case. Yeah, and I think that's where someone lost the run of it. In terms of, you've still got to win the league, so you've got to have people there that know how to win the league, know how to win the League of Ireland. So when you're bringing in, they're saying like we want to sign European players. That's grand, but you need to be in Europe and you need to be in the Champions League to have a good run at Europe. So you need to be proven. You need tried and tested lads and know what it what it takes to win. And um, unfortunately, every footballer goes you know through spells, whether they be hot, cold, or a little bit off it. But um, all of us, I suppose, were being questioned that were there and you know proven winners mm. of winning the league and like you said the lads that go to Shamrock Rovers um, they were they'd shown it year after year um, you nearly went to Shamrock Rovers yeah that was that was a few years before that now that wasn't in the midst of that but um, um, you turn them down because you loved Dundalk too much <laughs> well that was it I was <laughs> feet under the table the house there a family there and yeah. um, when the club gets you up there like until I went there I never thought much of, they had a great crowd I remember playing on Thursday nights for Monaghan against them I thought oh, it's great atmosphere up that there it's a bit mad but there's this feeling and it's it's hard to describe but it's a massive massive club and the town like the club is the town everybody's behind you married it. into the town 
yeah, I married a girl from the centre of town. Now they're a GAA family, so okay, so the father wasn't too happy when he when he found out I wasn't a brogan or uh, or one of those um, from Dublin. He heard footballer from Dublin. Yeah, that was it. So, um, but yeah, it's a massive club, and I suppose it's only when you're there and involved that you realise, you know, gets a grip on you how big the club is yeah. and how good it is up there and um, how good it is. I suppose to be full time footballer in a club like that um, it's incredible how quickly it can fall apart and listen to such a history in the League of Ireland of that happening like I mentioned the, the, the Gary Rogers maybe taking corner kicks there or something like that uh, in terms of potential mad decisions was there talk that Bill Hultzarza wanted you to run the club I yeah it's it's in the book and I don't know whether he was joking or not and I laughed at it and he said it again it was in a conversation with him so and was it, this to become manager or was this to become General manager of the entire place. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. In terms of commercially running it or something like that, um, like GM, like you said. But I don't know if it was a joke or not, sort of thing. Uh, and I laughed it off, and he had said it again. And I think I gave a bit of a smart answer back then because it was a it was a frosty enough phone call we had. Right. And I just said, "Listen, I'll be straight up and honest with him." Um, How did that go down? It, Grant, he said, listen, if there's ever and you know, if you can help, uh, I'd like to hear it and that sort of thing. But I don't know if it was just, you know, applause in me and stuff like that. But I felt as a player, at times you had to have these calls and you had to have these talks and say, listen, what's going on here? Um, but you were just fed whatever, whatever lines and listen, they didn't really care what you thought or um, they had their ideas and that's what that's what they were going with. So where are you now then? 35, you're still part of the Dundundalk squad, uh, trying to get yourself back in. Yeah, I've had a couple of setbacks between since I got back with the knee between COVID and then I just had a a little issue with the foot that right. I'm hopefully back from soon now. Um, so it's frustrating, yeah. You've had a very difficult couple of years. You outlined towards the end of the book, you had a real bad health scare. Yeah, from the surgery I had blood clots. Um, that was nearly fatal. So um, it wasn't in the book originally. Right. And then obviously the book was postponed, I suppose, from last November to so early this, this year. So when did this happen? This happened, what was it, May. So I had surgery on the 1st of May last year and then I ended up in for about three weeks in hospital, bed bound, because uh, the clots were fairly serious in my oh. lung and, you know, building up the pressure into the heart. So um, it was, yeah, it was a fair, fair scare when, you know, you weren't too far off going the other way because and you think you're indestructible as a as a footballer you have to have a bit of a confidence and ego and about you and think you know you can battle through anything but something like that then pulls it back and in the, into perspective that the knee was the last of my worries and I suppose just getting out of hospital was the was the main thing but I think uh, uh, a lot of people who read the book will be quite shocked to read that what was were your teammates in Dundalk aware of what was happening and just how serious it was no um, a couple of the medical team knew it and maybe a few people in terms of management but didn't really there was enough of a circus going on in terms of having something else and then listen it's a small league and a small country here I didn't want to go out and I didn't I wasn't able to talk about it I didn't want people knowing and I didn't want to be having the conversation over and over and that wasn't that's why it wasn't in the, yeah. the book originally because in terms of my head I wasn't able for it and then and was that you, you wanted to still have that perception out there that you were bulletproof yeah, that's that's part of it, um, and then coming to terms with it yourself, then that you know you're not, and 
you know, you did go through something like that. Um, it was just, it was a mad between the injury and then that, and then I had a little scare with me, me young lad. Yeah. Um, in the space of from May to September. Right. It was just every time I'd sort of right get back on track. There was something then a few weeks later that happened that was, uh, sort of life changing. Um, so it was uh, mentally it was tough. But listen, we all everyone has them in their lives and stuff like that. You just have to plow on and get get yourself together and sort of hit the reset button and get on with it. But um, that was my way of dealing with it. It was just I'd prefer people not to have to go through it over and over. And then when you are ready, then and you've you've dealt with it, then listen, it's grand, like. And you're at an age where you know naturally people will start asking yeah. about retirement. Time is not me side. You can say it. Like when you go through something as as extreme as that, were you thinking like? Once you knew that, uh, thankfully, you were going to survive, were you thinking that's me done with football? No, um, I suppose the stubbornness in me Was and your wife thinking that's you done with football. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and and the mother as well. Um, I was told there's, I suppose, when you have clots, there's provoked and un- unprovoked, um, and there was kind of it was a bit ambiguous, and they weren't there was they were a bit unclear as to where they lay on it. They thought it was unprovoked which means you'd have to be on tinners for life right which means you can't play because if you got a bang to the head internal bleeding and different stuff and that so i ended up being on tinners for the rest of the year which is quite long for a provoked but um i had a meeting with a consultant and i convinced her that the way the report was wrote and so on and that that it was provoked and not unprovoked what they said uh, and she looked into it and she sort of agreed um things got lost because I ended up going to the hospital a few times it was a long story things sort of got muddled in terms of the, the notes and stuff like that um, so thankfully um, we went off them there on, on New Year's Eve and it was sort of like it was an anxious few weeks because you don't know until you go off mm. them especially when that was up in the air and the only way she said is just be wary for, for symptoms sort of thing so I was going into pre-season there and I was just sort of praying that you, you know, get through everything it. stayed alright and then I was back playing football and and um, thankfully, touch worth everything's been, right. been all good so far. So, I'm sure it gave you plenty of time uh, when you're lying on a hospital bed to think then about the future, what's next, and what you want to do with the rest of your life. What is next? Um, I don't know. I've got a few businesses. I started a business then a couple of months later. I don't know. I don't know what I do to myself. It's a food company called Nude Foods, and I have a sports recovery unit in Junction Six there in Castle Knock. So. Um, I've got a couple of things on the go already but um, kids have come I have two kids under the age of three so that then changes perspective for me even since I've set up the businesses so um, it changes the whole time but in terms of football i just taking it as a go and want to make the most of whatever's left in this career and, and be part of you know there's something happening in Dundalk now yeah. it's, there's something building and it's a great place to be and you know I want to be able to contribute more to it obviously I'm in the background I've only played a couple of games but I want to be able to contribute on the pitch and, and uh, help push us on to where we want to go And has the the talk changed around Dundalk over the last week then about what could possibly be achieved this season? Because it, it does feel with the way the fixtures are set up Shamrock Rovers are starting in Europe they could have a huge amount of uh, European games they'll certainly hope so this season and Dundalk might have a clear run at it <laughs> That's the narrative I suppose being being thrown about now after last Friday. But we just look after ourselves, and that's what we've done 
in all those years where you're successful, you look after yourself and you look after the next game. Um, if you're there at the end of the season and if you're if you've done your business, you'll you'll be rewarded. You know if it's good enough. Um, but I think there's clubs that are way better placed to finish ahead of us. You're the underdogs, yeah. Yeah, well, you seen that? Story, you seen uh, any signs of Stephen Kenny and Stevie O'Donnell? <laughs> I don't know if I'll answer that one. <laughs> you're, still, um, you're still trying to get picked. <laughs> yeah, um, listen, he's come in as Gaffer and he's been brilliant. Um, you can see the team improving the whole time um, as the season's going. Um, and again, he's his own man. He puts his own. It's his, it's his team, his way of playing, um, his own stamp on it, and it's only the start, I'd say, for him. So. Um, yeah, it's been good. It's different, uh, which again can be good as well because we talked about Filippo coming in and stuff like that. And um, I know he got a lot of stick in that, but it, I learned a lot during that period. I played, you know, right of a back three and uh, different culture, different coaching styles, everything. Um, he was a lovely man as well. Like he was, he was a great fella. But um, of every manager and coach you learn especially yeah. as you get older sort of thing it's I love it because it's something different and it keeps it fresh it keeps a new challenge coming in um, so yeah so it's the same with Stephen he's he's pushing everyone and he's uh, pushing the team I suppose setting expectations and it's a roundabout way of answering your question and saying hopefully hopefully we'll be there at the end yeah hopefully uh, Brian uh, thanks so much for coming in uh, the book One Last Shot is available thanks. now uh, it's well worth a read to say it's a really good honest insight into Brian's own life but I think also Irish football over the last decade and a half very best of luck with it Brian thanks William Cheers. Football on Off the Ball with Sky proud partner of our women's national football team don't miss Georgia versus Ireland on Monday evening 